District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to CFACT.org. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Welcome to District of Conservation. I'm your host, Gabriella Hoffman. This podcast offers a sober examination into all things hunting, fishing, shooting sports, energy, environment, and the public policy surrounding it. And this podcast also specializes in original interviews that you won't hear elsewhere. Here's what I have for you today. If you caught the announcement on yesterday's episode, I am really pleased to announce that we are welcoming back Fox News contributor and Town Hall news editor Katie Pavlich to the podcast. Her appearance is our most listened to episode thus far in the podcast's existence, and we're so grateful to welcome her. Katie's largely going to focus on her new Fox Nation program, Luxury Hunting Lodges of America. I got to binge watch that recently, and I know you will love the program too. We also wade into some current events. She's going to express her thoughts on certain Biden policies, the Return Act, and some more thoughts that she has about the current state of affairs as it relates to conservation, energy, the outdoors, and the like. So I think you guys are going to enjoy Katie's return to the podcast and be interested to go outdoors and check out some of the lodges she scouted and experienced on her Fox Nation program. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Katie Pavlich today. Thanks for listening. We're delighted to have Katie Pavlich return to the podcast this week. Katie, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to come chat with me. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be back. Actually, I don't know if you know this, you're the most downloaded episode I've had on my podcast. <laughs> Our conversation is even two years ago. So I was like, I have to bring her back, obviously, to talk about your new show and then current events. So yeah, I think the listeners love hearing from you because you do great work. So really, really appreciate you speaking with me today. Well, hopefully we can beat the last episode with this episode. Heck yes. Since we set the bar so high. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I, I'll need your help in that. And I think we can accomplish that. Tell my listeners about your new program, Luxury Hunting Lodges of America. It's been all over. I've seen you plug it on the five and social media, of course. But why is that programming so unique and how does it depart from your regular commentary work? Yeah, so I was able to take a break from politics and uh, take a couple weekends uh, throughout the past nine months and go do this amazing project with Fox Nation. Um, it's called, as you said, Luxury Hunting Lodges of America. And we went to um, Honey Break in Louisiana, Highland Hills in Oregon, Three Forks Ranch in Wyoming, and Gray Cliffs Ranch in Montana. And each place was so different. Um, and we really focused on obviously the aspect of the lodge. Um, Cause I think a lot of people who aren't maybe as attuned to the outdoors or don't have, have as much experience uh, might be kind of intimidated by, you know, trying to get their feet in the water, so to speak, when it comes to getting in the outdoors and want to kind of ease their way into it. And these lodges are a great way to do that. They're super family focused, but they're just comfortable. And although they are very beautiful um, and obviously grandiose in their size. Uh, they're also very welcoming and warm to families. And a lot of these owners of these places um, have a high return rate because of the way they treat their guests. And so uh, it was just a really great experience. And then on top of that, obviously, is the hunting and the fishing aspect of it. As you know, I grew up hunting um, with my dad and um, still continue to hunt um, with him when I can, I don't have as much time. Um, but the show really, we focused on the conservation aspect of hunting and how, you know, private um, landowners, like the ones who own these lodges, really have put so much of their own time and money into, you know, conserving their land, their property, um, and bringing, you know, 
a respect to the animals and the wildlife uh, and which allows their guests to enjoy it. So it was really interesting to see how each place had a different, um, you know, different, obviously different landscape and different um, kinds of species of, of birds. And obviously that plays into diff just where they are, right? Um, but it was just a really fun experience. And uh, I got to do things that I'd never done before, like ice fishing and, uh, you know, got some more experience with my fly fishing and uh, like gator hunting in Louisiana, which that episode is great because we talk all about how, you know, there's, they're overpopulated um, because they've been federally protected for too long. Um, so now they're just everywhere. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a combination of everything, um, but it's, it's kind of a half and half. It's, you know, the, the benefit of staying in a lodge, but also you get to get outside and, and then go take a, a nice warm shower and be comfortable when you come home. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with these kind of glamping experiences. I love to do those as well. I've done a few times. I can do the rugged experience, but I had serious FOMA. I was like, oh my gosh, she's having the time of her life. Oh and yeah. You seem to be enjoying yourself. And did you have a particular favorite of the four lodges or were all of them equally I, amazing? I did, but I'm not going to stay. To <laughs> uh, not anger or upset the, I, yeah, the people did, you befriended. I, I did have a favorite, but they all were, all had their own unique, um, aspect I think the one that was my favorite was just because of of where it was in my childhood and kind of where I grew up in the kind of environment that I spent my childhood in the outdoors um but I loved all of them and each one taught me you know new things and I think that's what I love about the show too is you know I love I, I think that when people spend time with you you owe it to them to respect their time time is everybody's most valuable resource and I want them to learn something not you know so to be respectful of their time or try to teach them something. And so I think the show has a lot of different interesting tidbits that people may not know about the regions or, you know, the way that these property owners have worked to restore a river, for example, in uh, Wyoming. So yeah, um, I did have a favorite, but I will just leave that for people to choose their own favorite when they watch the show. <laughs> Absolutely. And what has the response been so far to the programming? Have people it's generally liked it? Yeah, I've gotten a lot of really great, nice, supportive emails. I've gotten a few, a very few though, uh, you know, angry viewers. I did get one woman who wrote in and said that she thought it was a show about hunting lodges, not about hunting. And it's like, well, I'm not really sure you what you thought a hunting lodge was for. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, so, so you can't please everybody. Um, but it really is like a well-rounded show about conservation, um, the lodges, the owners, the people who visit. Um, and it just was a really a great time and I'm grateful I was able to do it. Speaking of fly fishing, I know you had some struggles with it previously and the trout <laughs> were kind of unkind to you, but I loved the fact that you caught a fish more. I know you have with your husband before, uh, but you caught, I think your personal best on the fly. And that was so cool to see you do that and learn about the history of that lodge. Are you more confident now to tackle fishing? You think? I, I guess I've always been like, I've never been afraid to do it. It's just kind of a running joke that like the fish don't <laughs> come near me, you know, like they know I'm there. They run as far away as possible, but I did have some success and some good luck uh, during the show. So I guess that's what matters, right? They turned the cameras on and all of a sudden the fish wanted to be uh, stars of the show. So, um, you know, I think fly fishing is awesome and just fishing in general. Uh, I've done deep sea fishing, fly fishing, um, and I think there's nothing better than like standing on the river in Montana or Wyoming and, you know, fishing that way. So, um, you know, it's, it's a skill for sure. Uh, we got to whip that back, the, the rod back <laughs> in an accurate fashion, but yeah, it was, it was great. I got some more experience and would love to do it again. I told you before you have an open invitation to fish with me. I'm crazy. And I like <laughs> yeah. to go to all the urban spots and even some further out spots. So 
you have an open invitation, you, your husband, anyone who wants to come. This yes, fall. I so got to take you up on that for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> when you were speaking to these lodge owners, did they ever express any concerns about maybe their businesses being jeopardized um, relating to politics or maybe the attack on the hunting and fishing livelihoods? I don't know if you got to talk to them offline about that, but I've heard from a number of people who run these outfitting businesses that they're a little worried about where the country is going and and where the industry may be in the future with different attacks on the lifestyle. Yeah, totally. Um, you know, I didn't get into politics too much with um, the owners, but it just generally, you know, if you if you own a big ranch, um, you're, you're, you're the, the, t- the issues that affect you are obviously conservation and legislation that comes out of Washington, D.C., whether it's the EPA or the Interior Department. Um, and yeah, they they try to control a lot of um, what these these ranches do. Some of them have more freedom than others, just depending on which state they're in. And actually, Three Forks was super interesting. Uh, in Oregon, I mean, all of them, but um, Three Forks in Oregon, in, in Highland Hills, Oregon, were specifically more interesting because they had these really interesting partnerships with um, the state in terms of uh, the hunting. So um, in Wyoming, the owners have you know these this partnership where they allow hunting and they work with the state in Colorado, actually, because it's on the border, um, to allow public hunting and in combination with private hunts on the ranch. Um, but definitely they worry about government overreach, um, you know, the EPA coming in and saying they can't use a certain, you know, their property a certain way. Um, and of course, we've seen these big Supreme Court battles play out uh, this year, in addition to over the past, you know, couple decades on that issue. Um, they also worry about fires, right? Because of the way that the forests are not managed uh, out West. Um, so, you know, forestry policy certainly, you know, is something that they think about all the time and their livelihood. Um, so yeah, it definitely affects them and something that they know more about than anybody. Uh, and yet there's all these bureaucrats in Washington who tend to think they know better. And we'll cover that momentarily into current events because there's a lot happening, but I really want to gauge your thoughts on that. But let's do one more last quick thing about the show. Can you tell my listeners, is there going to perhaps be more outdoor programming from you in the future? I hope so. I hope so. There's no guarantee for a season two, but if everybody watches it and sends nice notes about how they like it and want more, then the chances of a second season go up. So um, I think people have really enjoyed it so far. I certainly enjoyed it, you know, doing it and I would love to do it again. All right, everyone. He, Katie's advice on that. Now we're going to move into public policy because this is your bread and butter. And you focus the gamut on so many different issues, but you also do pay attention to what happens in energy and conservation. Let's focus in more so on, I guess, what we can consider Manchin's betrayal. He's kind of been this stopgap for bad climate-related policy, Mm -hmm. but he's going full-fledged into this so-called Inflation Reduction Act because he wants guarantees for the Mountain Valley Pipeline, which is actually a good project. But in my estimation, that's not the way to achieve it, not to concede to the extremist demands to get a pipeline when there's no assurances. And I saw today in e News that there's going to be actually NEPA roadblocks, not surprisingly, uh, to this. So what are your impressions of that in, in his position and kind of betrayal of his constituents? Yeah, well, first I'll, I'll, I'll say on the pipeline, yeah, I'm, I'm not sh- sure why Manchin is so confident that the pipeline will actually get built and move move forward, just given all of the regulations and hoops that they're going to have to jump through. Um, and I'm not, I don't know why he trusts the Biden administration not to go back on their word when it comes to approving permits and not caving to the protesters who may show up and demand that the, the pipeline not be built. Um, that's the first thing. It is a good project, but he shouldn't have to trade 
uh, more inflation, higher taxes uh, for that pipeline. The administration, especially given the way that gas prices have been through the roof and energy prices to heat people's homes ahead of the winter, uh, the, the pipeline should be approved regardless of a trade or a vote on this bill. Um, the name of it is absolutely ridiculous. It's just a lie, the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, and then they, the Biden White House and the chief of staff continue to argue that it's not a bill that raises taxes. Well, it does raise taxes, but inflation is a tax. So we've seen a 9.1% increase in inflation over the past year and a half. Uh, we've only seen wage growth at 3%. So that's a real problem, um, especially when it comes to the war on energy that really underpins all of the problems we're having with the economy. Um, I saw your tweet the other day about um, how people were upset about um, Chef Ramsey, like talking about a lamb being slaughtered for a meal, right? And how everyone was outraged. And you said something like, well, how yep. do they think that stuff gets to their plate, right? Um, it's the same thing with energy. It's like nobody really ever thinks about the fact that every single part of the economy is dependent on fuel. Um, they, you need diesel fuel to get grain out of the ground, to get vegetables out of the ground. You need diesel fuel to get a truck across the country to a grocery store. I mean, every single thing, you know, even to get stuff from overseas here requires that uh, to put on ships. So the idea that, you know, we're just going to transition quickly to inefficient, non-clean uh, electric, solar panel, wind turbine energy is ridiculous. And I always, you know, I never call it green energy. I never call it clean energy because it's not, it's a, it's a farce. Like solar panels are not clean or green forms of energy and they're inefficient. Uh, windmills, uh, you know, no one ever talks about, you know, how do you dispose of the windmills when they go bad uh, quickly? Um, they're not these sustainable, you know, it's not like an engine that you can use for 30, 40, 50 years if taken care of properly. These windmills have a very short lifespan and there's no way, no real, real environmentally friendly way to dispose of them. It's the same thing with electric batteries. Um, so, you know, they're so focused on this, this, this definition of emissions being the only thing that matters when it comes to cleaning up the environment. And it's just such a, a, a terrible standard in terms of determining um, how we move forward with keeping our air clean, our water clean, and with conservation, not environmentalism. Um, but they're so focused on that CO2 number rather than thinking about like all the trash <laughs> that will pile up as a result of these quote, clean and green energy projects. Um, it really just is quite remarkable to me how that part of it is just completely buried. Um, but this bill, again, going back to the bill, it, it subsidizes China to, to send more cheap, inefficient, um, environmentally not friendly solar panels into the country. Um, and so I don't know why Joe Manchin would think that A, trust the Biden administration to follow through with this project, but B, that it would be good for people in West Virginia to have an increase in inflation when it's the fifth poorest state in the country. Um, so I'm not, you know, I, I don't know. I think he just had to prove that he was a Democrat <laughs> again. Like he's been you know, holding up their agenda for so long that I think he finally had to just kind of go back to proving he's a Democrat. Um, but we'll see. So I think that's a good summary of it. And I haven't been able to go through the, I think it's 500 pages. It's some monstrosity of a bill, like all of the bills in Washington these days. Yeah. And going back to kind of your descriptor of these clean energy proponents, I don't know if you see this too, there's a common thread among all of them, whether they're in elected office, they're so-called private stakeholders, activists, what have you, most of them never spend time outdoors. I don't know if you see right. the same thing. Yep. So they're sure. kind of 
lecturing from an Ivy tower. They don't know how oil and gas development happens. I've seen some fracking Mm -hmm. operations. I've seen a little bit of energy development myself and they tend to the land very carefully and they don't want to screw up because then they're going to have a lot of stuff to pay for. And a lot of people will lose jobs. So I think it's a complete disconnect from where everything is sourced and this, this animus to clean, cheap fuel that has worked for us. And that has provided obviously cheaper prices and that has made us prosperous compared to a lot of countries. And now we're seeing, I started to cover a lot and I'll try to do this for town hall too. I think you'll appreciate this, but talk more about ESG because all these Mm -hmm. countries that have adopted these obviously net zero policies have essentially collapsed or are on the verge of collapse. And so there's that whole overlap with that issue too. And um, let's segue into kind of maybe wildlife conservation. Is there anything that has popped out to you from this administration and maybe even from our side of the aisle, uh, legislation or actions that concern you? I know I've covered a lot of it for Town Hall about the attacks to hunting and fishing um, that kind of go under the radar. But is there anything that sticks out to you that you want my listeners to be aware of more so? I just think that general, the general issues of just, you know, not wanting hunters and conservationists to be using the land, um, having, you know, taking away private public partnerships that we've seen that are efficient to forest management, um, you know, thinking that environmental groups are better uh, advisors when it comes what to what to do out West than people who work the land, like ranchers and farmers, as you were saying. Um, this idea that farmers are the enemy and therefore we have, you know, they have to be over-regulated um, and ranchers too. Uh, and then, and then of course there's, you know, the, the issue that I saw during the show is with, you know, when there's an animal that's been federally protected, um, whether it's wolves or, um, or alligators, um, you know, that tends to turn into a problem for ranchers and farmers and, and the environment because they're overpopulated and the rules have not been updated to, um, if you know, properly reflect an, an evolution of, of that issue. Um, so, you know, just generally the overbearing burden of the EPA thinking that they have, should have total control over people's private property. I know we saw that win at the Supreme Court with uh, the West Virginia case, which is a good thing. Um, but generally, it's, it, they believe that the government should be in charge of the land and that private ownership uh, is a problem rather than uh, seen as a, a benefit to you know, wildlife conservation and um, being efficient with you know, project cleanup and that kind of thing. So I think just overall, generally, the issues are that they don't see private landowners or uh, as a partner. Um, and despite the, you know, the U.S. Forest Service failing to manage the forest, they're still not willing to allow private industry to come help. Um, and I'm not sure how that changes until there's a new administration, to be quite honest. You're absolutely correct. It won't change until there's a conservationist Republican administration. Mm-hmm. We're going to just see radical preservation. Have you yep. paid much attention to what the Biden administration is doing that actually leads to loss of access with these lead bans at all? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are your thoughts on those? I mean, this is something they've tried to do in hunting for years and years. And they'll say it's about, you know, lead poisoning for endangered condors. We saw this in California. Arizona's tried to do it. Um, they also tried to expand it to forcing hunters to use, quote, lead-free um, ammunition um, and all hunting. Uh, it's really just a backdoor hunting ban um, based on unscientific studies that they claim prove that, you know, birds are eating bullets all the time. Um, that's just not true. It, it, it's not 
scientifically sound. Um, and it's just a way for the radical left environmentalists to, again, take hunters out of the system, which is so interesting and ironic because hunters are the ones who actually pay all of the money to, you know, actually conserve the environment. Whereas, you know, these environmentalist um, preservationists, as you say, are, they don't contribute anything to the system. Like they just mooch off of what hunters are, have already been doing. Um, one thing that we probably should talk about is the, the Republican bill that has yes. been introduced um, to repeal um, the excise taxes that pay for all that conservation. That's just like a crazy, crazy bill. Um, but yeah, so the lead, the lead thing is something they try a lot. Um, and in the States, you know, they've been successful in some ways of pushing back um, on some of that stuff, but they're trying to do it more federally now, um, which is a big problem. Yeah. And it'll lead to loss of access. I think they're also trying to undo that big expansion in the Trump administration. It was like 2.2 million acres and attach it to lead bans. Now there are comment periods. I think, I don't know if they were done or they're close to being finished uh, to comment on banning lead in actually several wildlife management areas in Virginia and in the mid Atlantic. Mm -hmm. So I need to put in some comments and say, no, this is a stupid idea myself. Yes, um, me too. <laughs> yeah, we all, we, all, we all have to do that a little better. But yeah, it seems like they're doing these little things here and there. And then also the Interior Secretary, I think their department took off that they will not take away access to hunting and fishing um, under the banner of no net loss. So they're not adhering to that. It seems like that whole agency mission statement is definitely not fulfilling, being fulfilled. Uh, under this administration. Um, but yeah, if you want to touch upon the return act and your thoughts on that, I know I covered that for the website too. Uh, but do you think that hurts Republicans with sportsmen? Because Republicans have an opportunity to be for sportsmen and women. I always argue this all the time. And I think this bill has nothing to do with combating gun control, uh, just really dividing people in the sportsman community who are for the second amendment too. Do you have similar thoughts or different thoughts? Yeah. So I just, out of all the things to go after, when it comes to protecting the second amendment, uh, this is just a really bad idea. So what, what's the name of the Congressman who first introduced Andrew it? Clyde. Uh, and, okay. So I actually was at the congressional, um, sportsman shoot with him and he was on our team and he started bringing this up. And I was with, uh, the former wildlife uh, secretary under Trump, Ariel, um, I really skip with, yes, skip with. And she, he was telling us about this idea. And we just both were like dumbfounded about why you would ever introduce this. Um, it, it just gives, you know, it just, A, it takes away the opportunity for, hunt, for hunters to be conservationists. It's something that hunters support. It's something that Second Amendment advocates support. And it brings up an issue that wasn't an issue. And then more concerning, a lot of Republicans just like jumped on it. Like I think Elise Stefanik jumped on it. Um, Jim Banks endorsed it and it was sold as the most pro second amendment bill ever introduced. And I think that's really why he did it is he wanted to be able to say, you know, that, that he introduced the bill, but in terms of, of the damage it would do, um, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And just given all of the issues that you could bring up about the second amendment and the way it's under attack. Um, and it would completely change in a negative way how conservation is funded in this country um, voluntarily. I mean, people voluntarily buy fishing licenses um, and, and that kind of thing um, to fund conservation. So it just doesn't make any sense to me at all that they would bring this up. And I bet you a lot of them are going to pose in blaze orange 
when it comes to re-election and pretend yeah. that they never supported this. But more positively, actually, I think seven members have now rescinded co-sponsorship or support for the bill because of pressure from sportsmen and women. So yeah. I, I think many will start to peel back support. And I heard internally from some in Congress that said that if the Republicans take control, this will not be heard. <laughs> or well, when I was asking him, you know, how do you, okay, so how are you going to make up for like the billions of dollars that are placed into the system through, you know, these excise taxes. And uh, he said, he didn't really have an answer for that. Um, so if you're going to, you know, rip up something that's been a, the most successful conservation program in the history of the country, you better have a good replacement. Um, and he didn't, he really did nope. not have a good answer for that. There's actually a fund he's proposing under like a similar model, like the land and water conservation fund. And he's like, well, we can do it from offshore oil and gas royalties. And I wrote for us at town hall, I said, well, given that we have an administration that's waging a war on energy, how are you going to replenish those funds in this new substitute program? Like you're not going to be able to under the next few years with this administration. So it doesn't make any sense to yeah. do that because we're seeing a diminishment in that funding source. So it makes no sense. And uh, one of my friends actually interviewed him and, and he didn't get him to admit that he was wrong, but he he questioned him and skewered him actually really well. One of my friends who's a waterfowler and uh, Florida. And so he he's so adamant about this. I think it's going to hurt him and other Republicans who don't reconsider. And and I think, like I said, this will just uh, peel back at the inroads that I think the party and the conservative movement has been trying to make because these people are mm -hmm. naturally conservative. They're independent. They're self-sufficient. They don't want government to interfere with their livelihoods. And this is such a huge step back. So I'm thankful yeah. that you, you share similar opinions. And I, I think most people do. I think most people on the yeah. right do agree. And this is just a distraction from, from gun control. And speaking of gun control, you probably have heard about some of the different bills that have passed and, and follow those closely, the assault weapon, so-called assault weapons ban, banning the Air-15, although Air-15s, modern sporting rifles are now actually uh, proliferating. Well, mm -hmm. so what have been your impressions of those hearings and that bill? Do you think it's going to make headway in the Senate? I don't think so. Uh, you know, the thing that House Democrats don't understand is that gun owners are more diverse than they've ever been in the history of the country. There are millions more new gun owners who purchased AR-15s over the past two years than we've we've seen ever. Um, you know, when I go to the to the range in Virginia, I'm a minority. <laughs> I'm a minority in terms of who is at the range. Um, so they really do cut across um, lots of different demographics when it comes to who gun owners are. And at a time when crime is, is increasing, um, when more people are getting into the outdoor lifestyle, uh, getting away from the cities, uh, or people who are still in the cities who want to protect themselves from, from violent criminals, um, people don't really trust the government to take care of them uh, on this issue. Uh, it's a very, as you, you said earlier, an ivory tower to type look. Uh, it's all these people who have private security or are, um, you know, are protected by police all day on Capitol Hill, uh, telling regular everyday Americans that they they want to choose what they can and cannot use to protect themselves. Uh, and an AR-15 is the most popular modern sporting rifle in the country. There's probably, you know, NSSF just released a study about how many they think are in circulation. They put it at like 22 million. I think it's double that. Um, so, you know, they're just trying to find any issue to rile up their base ahead of the midterms. Um, but it's, it's not something that would actually have an impact on crime because the first uh, ban didn't have an impact on crime or mass shootings. Uh, but, you know, again, goes back to their ideology about government control. If you're you know, an, you know, an unarmed population, uh, it's a lot easier to force you to do things that you don't want to.
Yes. And having the second amendment separates us from the rest of the world, much like where mm-hmm. my family came from, where violent crime was really high because there was an absence of the second amendment or a similar kind of component to it. I always heard about my grandfather and people of his era, not having guns. It was the first thing they took away before they sent them to the gulags and other similar prison. Yep. So people yep. don't know what they're working with um, when they're doing this. And I think the public is turning against gun control. Like a lot yep. of polling is showing that similarly with concealed carry. I think it's weird. People are opposed to air 15s in some polling, but they support almost overwhelmingly con- concealed carry. So I don't know what the methodology is, like how they're phrasing the questions. It doesn't seem like mm-hmm. they're consistent. So I think the public is starting to turn in our direction with respect to favorable opinions of the Second Amendment, but we still have to educate them on constitutional carry and a few other aspects. But I think people will come around. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think that, you know, there's been this this uh this this kind of push on the gun control issue to like blame gun owners for the the bad behavior of criminals or of parents who weren't, you know, involved in their children's lives and then they went to commit a, a mass shooting. And, you know, I think that they're smart enough to understand that you can't blame an entire swath of people, millions of other people for the actions of 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 a few. And it's always a difficult argument to make because it's horrific when one of those situations occurs. Um, but when you get down into the details, it's usually pretty preventable by the people who are involved. Um, and I, you know, in terms of really solving problems, you're not going to solve it with the federal government. No, and not by going after the manufacturers. And actually, the so-called immunity protections that they enjoy are not foolproof. There are like five or six exceptions where they can actually be charged uh, with complicity. Uh, but most of the time, manufacturers don't have any involvement in crimes. So it's funny that they're scapegoating them, these perfectly reasonable people uh, in the industry yeah. who, who don't want their products to be abused whatsoever. So they're like, we have to go after the manufacturers. They're the only ones who enjoy immunity, but that's not true. But they're also legal products. Like yes. the, the whole idea of them targeting these, these CEOs and dragging them in, in front of Congress to harass them for a product that is a legal, constitutionally protected product is absolutely asinine uh, and an abuse of power. And they do it over and over and over again. Is there any other thing you want to talk about? Do you want to uh, point my listeners to where they can watch your new show on Fox Nation? Yeah, anything else good. you're up to? Uh, just getting through the summer and, uh, you know, looking forward to the fall and um, getting outside and um, hopefully doing some more stuff with Fox Nation. But yeah, my uh, new show, Luxury Haunting Lodges of America, is on Fox Nation right now. So go subscribe and enjoy. Um, if you need something to binge, it's a great binger. Um, so I appreciate you having me on the show to talk about it and current events, of course. <laughs> Absolutely. And where can people follow you in your amazing adventures, of course? Uh, well, you can find me everywhere at Town Hall, uh, on Fox News, Fox Nation, and of course on social media, Instagram and uh, Twitter. Instagram is much more fun than Twitter. So that's where the, the real fun stuff is. <laughs> Although I don't know if you've noticed, like everyone else, the engagement on Instagram has been so down. It's pathetic. I know. It's Ugh. I know. It's true. Make it's Instagram true. Instagram again. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> we should Katie, start a campaign. Thank you, Katie, so much. I really appreciate you thank spending you. time with me. And yeah. I know we'll hit the water together or do some activity this fall. So follow up Sounds with me and, and we'll do that. Okay. Sounds great. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to District of Conservation. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you haven't already, make sure you find us on your preferred podcast player. We largely circulate on Apple, Spotify, and countless others, but those are our two 
big podcast platforms we want to push. Make sure you're subscribed there, especially on Apple. If you like the podcast a lot, go leave us some reviews. We'd be more than grateful to get some five-star reviews from you guys. Moreover, we are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and a little bit on YouTube. We don't populate there, but connect with us on social media. Find me personally on social media with blue check marks. Super easy to find, and I would love to hear your feedback and know who you'd like to see on the podcast. Thanks for listening to District of Conservation. Stay tuned for the next episode.